Well, thank you, Corb and Carol, and everyone who is leading us in worship today, the choir from afar. I love it when they do that, and uh, what a great song, He is Worthy. Let's bow just for a moment in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we gather today on Resurrection Sunday, and while still limitations are in place, our hearts are free. They always are free to worship you. But now we come to encourage one another and lift up one another. And Lord, I pray that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. This is nonsense. That's a phrase you might hear when someone's trying to read the IRS tax code. <laughs> I can't make heads nor tails of this. This is nonsense. Or it reminds me of a story of a college exam that was being done in ornithology. And as they studied the different birds, uh, the final exam was different. There was pictures of birds up on the big blackboard, but there was a screen pulled down so that all you could see were the legs of the birds that was it and so there's one guy really getting frustrated as he's taking the exam and he's saying to himself this this is nonsense how am I supposed to identify these birds just by their feet and pretty soon it got the best of him and he he just was so upset and he got out of his chair and said this is horrible this is nonsense I can't take a test like this and he started walking out of the room and the teacher said wait a minute wait a minute who are you what's your name and he pulled up his pant legs and says you tell me <laughs> yeah that that's nonsense but what about someone saying that about the resurrection this is nonsense you say, well, I'm sure people say it all the time. The agnostics, the atheists. No, I'm talking about the apostles in Luke chapter 24. Chapter 24 and verse 11. This is kind of a key verse for us this morning. And Keith read it just a moment ago. But they did not believe the women because their words sounded to them like nonsense. This is the 11, the 12 minus Judas, plus others unnamed. And they said, this whole resurrection stuff is nonsense. Now, what you have to understand is that Jesus was clearly dead in their hearts and minds. There was no doubt whatever about that. Pilate had signed the death certificate when the soldiers came to break the legs of those who were suffering on the cross, John 19.33 says they came to Christ. He was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two secret disciples from the council of the Pharisees in Sanhedrin, came boldly to Pilate and asked for the body, and he gave them the body, and they lovingly and carefully washed it and then put it on a slab stone in a brand new tomb that had never been used. Which is interesting. 
He who was born in a virgin's womb is placed in a virgin tomb. But John 19 says that they put strips of cloth over Christ and then anointed him with 75 pounds of spices. A mixture of myrrh and alloys. This is the amount that was used in a royal burial to mummify the body. And once they were done, they rolled the stone over the opening and that was that. It was done. Jesus was dead. To borrow the words from the Christmas carol and the famous Charles Dickens, Jesus was as dead as a doornail. And this must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come from the story I'm about to relate. <laughs> he was dead. The Bible tells us the women stayed and watched the burial. They were the brave ones. Maybe they didn't have a price on their head like the apostles did. Because the women were watching. On the Sabbath day they were resting and preparing the spices to bring them on the first day of the week. To anoint the body yet again. Jesus was anointed by Mary before his burial. By Joseph and Nicodemus at his burial. And then on the first day of the week the women were coming to anoint him once again. So the women were resting on the Sabbath day. The disciples were hiding and the Pharisees were scheming. They called a meeting that was unlawful. The Sanhedrin is not supposed to meet on the Sabbath. But on the Sabbath day, after the preparation day. So you have the preparation day, which was actually Good Friday. That goes into the Sabbath day on Saturday. And then the first day of the week on Sunday the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. Isn't that interesting? The Pharisees remember it, but the disciples don't. Isn't it embarrassing when the people who don't believe in God know the Bible better than you? So they said to Pilate, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples are going to come and steal the body and tell people that he rose from the dead. And the, the last deception will be worse than the first. And so you know what they did? They secured the tomb with a Roman seal and put Roman guards around it. And it's really good that they did that <laughs> because that just shows how amazing the resurrection is. I mean, that's better than Houdini being chained and, and uh, blindfolded and gagged and put into water upside down. You know, it's, it's like they did everything they could to show that Jesus was dead and could not get out. But he did. And yet now we come to the morning. This is Luke chapter 24. Pastor Keith read a moment ago. The women, very early in the morning, brought those spices, but they were concerned. How are we going to roll this stone away? But on their way, an earthquake took place, Matthew tells us. So that when they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. Now, I'm not sure if the stone had been rolled away by the earthquake or that was just dramatic effect by the Lord saying, hey, watch this. <laughs> or whether the angels did it. But when they got there, they entered the tomb... This is 
24 of Luke, verse 2, verse 3, they entered and did not find the body of Jesus, and so they were wondering. Some translations have the word perplexed. They were confused. What happened to the body? You know what they didn't think of? Resurrection. (laughs) But suddenly two men in brilliant clothing, gleaming white, were beside them and the women were frightened and they bowed down before these men and the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And in Matthew's gospel it says, just as he said. Don't you remember? Verse 6. Don't you remember his words? He said this multiple times when He was with you in the Galilee and on his way to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. He'll be crucified, and on the third day, he will be raised again. And then, ah, and they remembered his words. I mean, that's the history of my scholastic life. The teacher asks a question, and I'm clueless, and I can't figure it out. Don't you remember? No. Well, this goes into this, and this does. Ah, now, oh yeah, now I remember. Why don't you give me the clue before the test? I'd be fine. Now they remember. So the women are all excited. And they go running to talk to the 11. This is verse 9. And the others. And we don't know exactly who those others are, except we're going to meet a couple of them a little later on in the chapter. And we're told who the women are in verse 10. And some are named, but not all of them, because these are the women who served him in Galilee, who followed him down to Jerusalem, who are constantly ministering to his needs. Amen for the women. Wow. Let's give a shout out for these bold women who were there serving Christ when the disciples were hiding. And they told this to the apostles. On our way, there was an earthquake, and we didn't know what was going to happen. The stone, stones rolled away, and we're all upset. The body's not there, and we see two. Slow down, slow down. Two people in white, and they were angels, and they told us that he's risen. And so the apostles go to check it, to check it out. But verse 11 says, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So what you have now is denial in the morning of Easter Sunday from the very apostles who were commissioned to proclaim the good news of the resurrection. This is a bad start for Christianity. By the way, this word nonsense in verse 11 is a medical term, and you have to remember that Luke is a medical doctor. This word is used only one time in all of the Bible, being a technical term, and it means someone who is incoherent, perhaps due to a high fever. They're talking, but their words are not connecting with reality. Their words are nonsense. That's what we think of you women. He's dead. They did not believe their testimony, the testimony of the women, and they did not believe the words. Skepticism you will always have with you, right? In Athens, there was a plaque, and one of the notable philosophers 
teaching room that said once a man dies and the earth drinks up his blood, there is no resurrection. And that plaque could be seen, should be, could be seen in every university across our land, almost everyone. Charles Swinburne, a 19th century English poet, put it this way. From too much love of living, from hope and, free, hope and fear set free, we thank with brief thanksgiving, whatever gods may be, that no life lives forever, that dead men rise up never, and that even the weariest river winds somewhere safe to see. Have a nice day. Wow. The depression of our world because there is no hope. Dead men never raise up. And the popular and famous Richard Dawkins, who's written many books, an atheist, said this, presumably, presumably what happened to Jesus is what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> oh, I want to use the word idiot, but I will refrain. The evidence is overwhelming to the objective individual. If you come in with a bias as Dawkins does, you say, but you Christians are biased too. Okay, just look at the evidence. And it is overwhelming that there is only one conclusion. Jesus is alive. But you, you would expect that from the atheists and you would expect that from the humanistic poets and, and philosophers, but from the apostles to deny that he is alive. And it reminds me of the fact that you and I often live every day as though he's still in that tomb. Many of us do. Many days we do. So verse 12 says, When Peter got up and ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering. Same word that we had back in verse 4, perplexed. Muttering to himself. What is in the world has happened? And why are we in this state of denial? Because they did not remember his words. Well, we go on through that first Easter Sunday to despair that takes place in the afternoon. And I want you to notice that in verse 13, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now, this village is seven miles away. And the two of them were part of the others, verse 9, who were with the 11. We know Cleopas is one. We don't know who the other one is. But they're on their way, and they're talking with each other, and they're discussing what happened. And as they're talking to each other, this is verse 15, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So now we're moving to the second phase for the disciples on Easter Sunday, and this is despair in the afternoon. They were downcast. 
Again, this is, a, this is a verse that you only find a couple times, or word, you only find a couple times in the Bible, downcast. It's here, but it's also used in the verses that talk about people who fast and then disfigure their face to make themselves look like they're hurting. So here is someone who is really hurting. Clinically depressed? I'm sure they are. Now, clinical depression has many causes, and it's not always spiritual. Often, it's physical. And there is a mental illness that people battle with because the chemistry of their body is not properly balanced, and they struggle not only with their own physical situation, but with the perception of other people around them. But here, these people... Their depression and despair is linked to something very specific. They thought Jesus was dead. They banked their whole life on Christ bringing in his kingdom. And so I love this. Jesus just starts walking with them. You know, the ladies thought Jesus was a gardener. These two on the road to Emmaus think that he's a guest. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happened? And Jesus says to them, tell me. <laughs> Verse 18, are you the only one? Haven't you seen all that's happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, what things? Tell me. <laughs> I love when, when Jesus just saddles up next to us and begins to ask us questions. How you doing? He knows. How'd it go this morning? He knows. That was amazing what you did, wasn't it? He knows. <laughs> so this guy thinks he's talking to a visitor in Jerusalem and says, I'll tell you what happened. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, verse 19. We thought he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He did some amazing things. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to death and they crucified him. So here's the first thing that brought upon depression to their soul, this unexpected event of the cross. They were looking for the kingdom, not the cross. And whenever you are holding unbiblical expectations in your heart, when they aren't fulfilled, you're depressed. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem all of Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since this took place and the women who went to the tomb came back and they said they didn't see the body, verse 23. They said they saw a vision of angels who said he was alive, but some of our companions went to check it out and they saw the empty tomb, but they didn't see him. And this is like an unsolved mystery. And because they can't find the answer, they're perplexed and depressed. Think about it. On the day of resurrection, when they should have been filled with great enthusiasm, they are so depressed, they're quitting the ministry and they're going home. And it's an afternoon walk. They arrive at Emmaus in the evening. It's seven miles. That's a two or three hour walk. The whole afternoon they spend thinking that Jesus is dead. 
You know, I wonder, I wonder what kind of countenance, what kind of testimony your countenance gives to your neighbors and friends and family about Jesus. If you're always depressed and you're always defeated and you're always giving up and you have no hope, hey, how's that Christianity going for you? Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, had a wonderful sense of humor, and he spent a lot of time teaching preachers. He was emphasizing to the class the importance of when you preach, let your facial expressions match the message. And so he said, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it radiate with heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine and reflect the glory of that great place. And then he said, but when you speak about hell, well, your ordinary face will do. (laughs) It's funny, but it's sad. How come we don't live with the light of the resurrection in our soul like we should? I mean, it's just always fresh and always there. A little boy was coming home from Sunday school, driving home in the car with his dad. I think he was five years old, and they passed the cemetery where there was a freshly dug grave for a funeral, I think the next day, with piles of dirt next to it. And the little boy looked at it and said, Dad, another one got away. Just heard the story of the resurrection. (laughs) Look, Dad, another one got away, just like Jesus. We've got answers for all those things. But how come we don't live with that type of wonderful hope? He's alive. He is alive. And that's why we rejoice and celebrate today. So Jesus then said to them, this is verse 25, how foolish you are, foolish believers. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He puts his finger on the problem. It is foolish not to believe what the word of God says. It's foolish to forget it. And it's foolish not to embrace it. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Your thoughts of the kingdom are okay, but they were out of sequence. First the cross, then the crown. And you and I have a problem with sequence. Because we think that our Christian life should be nothing but blessing. The nothing but blessing part comes later. Now, mercy drops round us are falling. And for that we can rejoice. But all who live godly in this world will suffer. Yeah. Hard to say, isn't it? Persecution. This world is not my home. This world is not a friend to to grace, to help me on to God. If they hated me, they hated you. Why don't we remember those verses? This is a place of Amazing beauty and blessing in spite of the curse, but because of sin, we suffer, just like our Savior did. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer first and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. This is the greatest Bible conference you could ever attend. Let me pick up the book of Genesis and, and, and talk about Moses. Greater than Moses is here. Or Joseph. Let me go through the book of Exodus and talk about redemption and, and coming out of captivity and the Passover. Let me go through the offerings in the book of Leviticus. It, it was, must have been wonderful. If you read the Old Testament and don't see Jesus, you're not reading the Old Testament properly. Jesus went through the whole Testament. Moses, the prophets, later on he says the Psalms. And I'm the message of all of that. And so now they're approaching the village and it's evening and Jesus gave the impression, verse 29, that verse 28, that he was going to keep going. Verse 29, they said it's late at night. Why don't you stay with us? And so he said, I will. They got bread, and look at this. This sounds like a communion service, doesn't it? Jesus took the bread, gave thanks for the bread, broke the bread, gave the bread to them, and boom, their eyes are open. Hey, I think I know this guy. I remember this now. And then the Bible tells us their eyes were open. They recognized him, verse 31, and poof, he disappeared. And then they said in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us? Notice now the euphoria in the evening because they see Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us? They had the unbelieving heart in the morning and the depressed, sad heart in the afternoon, but now they have a believing heart. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and opened to us the scriptures? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, re-energized, re-engaged. That's seven miles. That's two or three hours. It's already evening. They're not going to get back there till night. They don't care. Jesus is alive. And when they get back to the eleven. Verse 33, they found out, find out that they're assembled and they're saying it's true. The Lord is risen. He appeared to Simon. And so then the two of them add their testimony and everyone is rejoicing until Jesus shows up. And then they think it's a ghost. They thought he was the gardener in the morning. They thought he was a guest in the afternoon and now their first thought is he's a ghost in the evening and Jesus said give me something to eat touch me a ghost doesn't have a body like this and then with Thomas who would say this a week later my Lord and my God if Jesus predicted that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer under the hands of the Gentiles, be crucified, and three days later rise from the dead, and he pulled that off, my friend, he can do anything he wants to do. And he is God. Let's stop thinking of him as just a man or a myth. Let's stop thinking of this as mere theology to say we believe. Let us think of it as the very, the very truth upon which our lives are built. Jesus is alive. 
And because of that, I shall live too. Without this, there is no Christianity. I mean none. None whatsoever. This Easter euphoria is built on two things. They saw the living Christ and they believed the living word. Those two things. And you and I need to do the same thing. At each point, they move from denial and depression by having an encounter with the living Christ and by embracing the word that he had given to them. It was Easter Sunday in 1973. Uganda was groaning under the terror of Idi Amin and his regime, especially Christians. Pastor Kifa Sempangi had witnessed others being tortured, burned, shot, buried alive. He remembered the soldiers cruelly beating people, the horrible sound of boots crushing bones, all for the crime of being a Christian. This is in our lifetime, most of us, 1973. But it was Easter, and Pastor Simpangi bravely entered the local football stadium where 7,000 people were there to worship the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he preached the message boldly. At the close of the service, he went to his church, and five of the secret police from Idi Amin's guard followed him. They followed him in the church and closed the door behind him and five rifles were pointed at Pastor Kifa Sempangi. We're going to kill you for disobeying Idi Amin's orders, the captain said. If you have something to say, say it before you die. Simpangi thought of his beautiful wife and his lovely girl and he literally began to shake for a moment. But then the risen Lord who was living in his heart gave him amazing courage and peace. And this is what he said. Do what you must. The word of God says that I am in Christ and I'm already dead and my life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not my, not my life that's in danger, it's yours. I'm alive in the risen Christ, but you are still dead in your sins. And I pray that he will spare you from eternal destruction. <laughs> the captain looked at him for a moment and then said, will you pray for us? They lowered their rifles and bowed on their knees, and all five of those soldiers accepted Christ. And then became Kepha's personal bodyguard. <laughs> but he had Christ. Where does that boldness come from? It comes from knowing the living Christ and believing the living word. And that's what we need today.
The resurrection is God's amen to the statement of Christ on the cross. It is finished. Amen? He lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to every heart here today, either to draw them to Jesus because they've never believed. And it is true. Every soul outside of Christ is in eternal peril. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins and pay the price. And to be raised to prove that God has accepted the work of Christ. And now every person who says to Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner, save me. Every person with an honest heart who cries out in faith, Jesus, save me, will be saved. We have that on the authority of the word of God. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I imagine there are many people here today who have already called on that name and believe on that name. But something in life has happened to cause them to doubt, to be filled with confusion, to be depressed about this whole thing. Oh Lord, I pray that we'll get our eyes back on the living Christ and back on the living word and that you might fill our souls with courage to say to all, Jesus lives. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, especially those who have never trusted Christ, will you trust him today? Right where you sit. Pray a prayer something like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name. And God who knows the hearts and minds of every individual hears every prayer offered to him. And he will save you today. Let's take a moment and just pray. Every heart looking heavenward. Father, we